Make your way back to your seats and meet me in the text of Scripture. Welcome, everybody. My name is Pastor Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brook, and it's so good to be uh, able to stand with you all here and to get ready to open a Bible. Man, it's fun to worship God together, isn't it? Man, I'm just so encouraged taking of the Lord's Supper. Um, and just reminded how, as a family of God, as, as a church, we're just making a, a really bold declaration when we take the bread and the cup. We're saying Jesus has died for us and saved us, and he's coming back. And uh, it was just so good to do that here together with you guys. I want to pray as we get started uh, opening God's word and uh, eager to hear from God and what he has for us here. Anybody else, anybody else eager to hear from God? That's good, man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, today. And God, we know that uh, you are a faithful God, as we sang. And uh, we just come, Lord, expectantly. Father, we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, which can pierce our hearts and divide it and show us what's going on here, Lord. And so, Lord, I ask that you do that among all of us today. Thank you for, for the family of God that's here Thank you for all those who are new to the church, who are here. And God, just thank you for what you're about to do. We, do, we trust you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, would show us, would speak to us. And God, we anticipate hearing from you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been kind of walking through a series here at the Brook that we've titled 24-7. We're just talking about what is it like on an average day for someone who's trying to follow Jesus. And as I prayed and as we've already mentioned, we know there are some here who are here today. Maybe you're exploring out the Christian faith and we're just, we're thrilled you're doing that. We want you to know there's a safe place to, to explore God and find out what it is to follow Jesus. And there's others of us who are trying to follow him. And sometimes we're like, man, I'm getting lost on this journey. I'm forgetting my way. God, I, I don't know what to do next. I feel like I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. And, and so what we wanted to do was to give us a big picture idea and then a detailed picture of what it could look like from a day-to-day, 24-hour period to follow Jesus. We saw earlier on in this series that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom again. Did we seek him fourth? Come on, y'all with me. Did we seek him third? No. Second, right? No, we seek the kingdom of God first, which means to prioritize Jesus in every aspect of life. That's what he calls us to do. And then we saw from the moment we wake up, God calls us to say, take a moment, spend time with me. So that from the moment we wake up to the time our head hits the pillow, we have our minds focused on Jesus. But we've also seen from that moment you wake up to the moment you get to bed, a lot happens in life, doesn't it? We talked about what it's like when you wake up late and then you lose your keys, so you get in the car late and you're stuck in traffic and you're trying to be encouraged, so you throw on some radio, some K-Love, and it's not working. You're discouraged, you get to work. Uh, the boss is mad. You got deadlines, you got emails, you got charts, you got uh, numbers you got to fix. You got all kinds of responsibilities on you at work from a work standpoint, not to mention the temptations at work the gossip at work, your own insecurities, it could go on and on and on, and it's only 11.30 in the morning, right? And this, this is how it feels like. And then you know you got the next half of the day, and what's waiting you at home is laundry, dishes, and the sink. I mean, this is a real depressing story apart from Jesus in it. 
all right? So what we're talking about is how do we seek first the priorities of Jesus in all these aspects of life? And I love talking about work because at the end of the day, we got to make that money, don't we? The bills are coming. They will arrive. It don't matter how much you ignore the mailbox. They're sitting there waiting for you. So you gotta, you got to make the money. So what I want to do is ask, how do I seek first God's kingdom when I'm trying to make some money? How, how do I seek first the kingdom when my job stinks? When I'm way overworked, totally underpaid, when I'm frustrated, when I hate my job. I think a lot of us have jobs we can find a lot of purpose in. It's real easy. It's there. Your job is a very purposeful job. And there's others of us who are like, no purpose in mind. My job is frustrating. I'm, hi- I'm having a hard time seeing redeeming value in what I do other than the fact I get paid every two weeks. We've all been there at different times. What I want to propose to us is that sound theology, our belief, produces godly activity even through work. Okay? Our sound theology produces godly or diligent activity at work. Because we've all had those times where we're like, what am I doing here? I had that when I was in, in, in my uh, graduate program. My, my, my side gig was a, was a window washer. I was a window washer. I've shared this with you guys before. Um, as you, I probably shared with you before, I hated my job. I hated my job in January, especially. It's like, why am I carrying around a bucket of water in January. That, that's how I felt. And so what I would do, I would get in my car, fill up my bucket, I, I drive to my route, I would wash storefronts, and then in January, our, our company's like, hey, you gotta throw some rubbing alcohol in your water, because otherwise your bucket will freeze. I'm like, well, why am I out here with the bucket? I'm still, I'm still having a hard time. Why am I doing this job for? And so I remember doing that, and my fingers would freeze. So then I went online, I, I found out they had these things called these hot tamale gloves, they're like vibrant orange, and they use them for fishing, like ice fishing. So I'm going to give me some hot tamales. I got me my hot tamales, and I'm just, my fingers are little, like they're thin. I'm just, I got cold in the hot tamales. So I wear a pair of gloves under the hot tamales, and I still would freeze. And it's like January, then it's February, it's March. And I remember one day, Erica and I were walking into our church gathering from our former church, and I was just having a field day complaining about my window washing experience. When we crossed the street, she turned around, looked at me, and said, man up already. Yes. And I did this one, like, I, I, you know, I kind of had to grab my beard, like, what, what, did you just t- what did you just say? You're tell, you telling me to man up? She, she'll admit that probably wasn't the right thing to tell me in the moment. But my complaining about my job led her to that. She had heard enough of it. She's, I mean, she saw the hot tamales. She, she saw me coming back with like a frozen mustache. But rather than seeing my, my work from a different lens, I just only saw it from what I despised. And I began to complain over and over and over because I saw no purpose in my job. All I thought was I got to make that money, but I hate this. There was no seeking first the kingdom of God. I mean, I was in isolation uh, washing windows. I mean, I didn't meet people. Nobody wanted to wait outside with me in January. And so all that to say, some of you feel like you're in a similar boat with your job. You're like, either I work by myself or no one wants to come with me because my work is just that kind of work. And so how do we see our career, our job with purpose? 
That's an important question if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God. If we're going to really believe that God, can, that God is concerned about your 24-7 routine. And we've already said he is concerned. So then how do we make sense of work? Now, I want to state this just up front. I know there's some of us here in some unique situations. Some of us are unable to work, maybe because of health reasons or other ones. We want to acknowledge that. Uh, we know some of you are retired, praise the Lord. Um, but I've heard someone say, uh, work never killed somebody like retirement can do, you know. So I'd say, be diligent in your retirement, all right. Um, there are some of us here who maybe are full-time students, and you're not really in the workforce I want to acknowledge that. But I want to speak to us, as, a, as, a, as God tells us, as an instruction about work. All right? Because the vast majority of us are clocking in every day. We'll, and just even today, perhaps, in a few hours or tomorrow morning. I, I want to talk about that. Because uh, we know that there's various situations from students to homemakers to unemployed. Even some of you are looking for jobs. You're like, I'm not in this this place. I just want to encourage you to stay vigilant in your pursuit of work. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want to see what God has to say about work. And in order to do that, I'm going to open up the book of 2 Thessalonians in the Bible. It's a small book with just three chapters in the New Testament. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to give you some instruction where to find it. You could use the table of contents in your Bible. There is one at the very front. And it's divided in two halves of the Bible, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Second Thessalonians is towards the end of the New Testament. Second Thessalonians is where I want you to meet me. If you have a Bible in the chair in front of you, if you opened it up and you know what page we're supposed to be on, can you t- shout out what page are we supposed to be at? 989, thank you. As you're turning there, in a moment I'll have you stand as I read, but I want to give some context the book of 2 Thessalonians is just that it was the second letter written from Paul to the people in the city of Thessalonica, who then by, by uh, title, they were Thessalonians. Um, it's in modern-day Greece. Paul started this church in the book of Acts chapter 17. He was there for, it says, three Sabbaths, which is three weeks. And after the third week, many people were putting their faith in Jesus. It says many devout Greeks, and even, it says, not a few of the leading women. So men and women of all walks of life were coming to Jesus in Thessalonica, and then there was a a crowd of people, Jewish people, who were jealous of what God was doing among Paul and and his teaching, that they began to raise up a persecution, and Paul was forced out of the city just shortly after his third week there. But in those short three weeks, God had established a church. That's remarkable when you think about it. It took us nine months to plan just to plant the brook. in three weeks, God did something so remarkable there. He raised up leaders so quickly. So when Paul is forced out because otherwise he would lose his life, what he ends up doing is he, as he leaves, he's just like, I'm so grieved, I want to go back, but I can't. So he starts writing letters to the church, encouraging them in their faith. That's First Thessalonians. And then he writes a second letter to encourage them. That's Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, he tells them chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He says, I'm really concerned... That, that your life would represent the name of Jesus, what he, what he tells them. That, that's one of Paul's desires for the church, that they would, that the, when people would see them, they would know something about the substance of their faith in Jesus by the way they live their lives. Basically what Paul is saying is the name of Jesus 
is at stake with which the way you live your life. And then he goes on to tell them, so go on and be diligent. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, let me address this matter of work for the sake of the name of Jesus. And that's what we're going to take a look at in the minutes ahead of us. Would you stand to your feet as I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is what God's word tells us. Paul's writing, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us before, uh, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in, in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Can we read this command together here in the ESV? If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, though, but warn him as a brother. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So Paul's pretty direct to the point, I'd say, wouldn't you? He tells them, from the very beginning, that there are some people among you who are walking in idleness. Look at that in verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. I mean, those are strong words. First of all, he says, we command you. So he's commanding them. Second of all, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then third of all, he's telling them to keep away from someone who's not, well, who's, uh, who's not being diligent. And by keeping away, I don't think he's saying, you know, go ahead and unfriend them on Facebook. I think what he's saying is like, look, there's a great danger when we surround ourselves with people who are idle, people who are not diligent, because idleness is contagious. So when we think about our work, we've got to recognize if there's anything in us that's feeling like our job, first of all, doesn't have purpose, and second of all, that we need to approach it with a, with a way of idleness, we got to know this is not what God wants for us. It's interesting, the word idle, I-D-L-E, not idle with an O-L, idleness is actually a military term in the Greek that's used here. And it means, literally, without tactic. Without tactic. And what it is, is when an army would go into battle, if they were idle, they didn't have a plan. Or if they had a strategy to retreat, to regroup, if they didn't have a strategy, they would be idle. And so Paul is saying, like, some of you, some of people there in the church are approaching their work with the same lack of purposefulness. He says they are walking in idleness. So it's not just they were, had an idle moment or an idle week. He says, this is how you're walking. This is their way of life. 
And he's saying this is a dangerous way because this kind of idleness is contagious. I love what he says in verse 11. They're not busy, but they're busy bodies. A busy body is someone who's a meddler. They're meddling in other people's activities. Uh, one, some, one person said, you know, this same kind of word or language is used, like, of someone who puts their spoon in your bowl. It's like, get, get, get out of my bowl, right? And a busy body, is, has, like, they got spoons and they're looking around to get all up in the business. But rather than being busy at work, they're out there meddling and oftentimes leading to gossip and then ultimately resulting in a laziness of life. But what, what struck me is idleness is not strictly just being lazy, but it's just having no purpose in how you're going about. We could, do, we could be very busy doing the wrong things, especially when it comes to work. And so Paul's like, hey, idleness is contagious, it's toxic, and it will affect the way you even view your work. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's the first problem he highlights. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, not only are these people walking in idleness, but they're not walking in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So like I said, Paul's only taught there for a few weeks before he was forced out, but he did write a letter, and in this previous letter, he tells them, admonish the idol. Tell that person to get working if they're choosing to not do so, strictly because they're more of a busybody. He tells them, in, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, he tells them, work with your hands. Be diligent. And so Paul's like, they're not keeping in alignment with the teaching we've brought. And actually, truth of the matter is, the Bible has a lot to say about work. And I, I hope and pray that this brief survey I'm about to give you is extremely helpful to you as we consider our own work. The first thing is, God worked. God worked. He didn't get a paycheck either. So in the book of Genesis, it says that God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Rest is the reward for work. We'll talk about rest in a few weeks. But rest is the reward for work, and God uh, uh, demonstrates that for us to imitate him. Secondly, God tells us to work. Sorry, I'm not used to having the over-the-ear mic and glasses on, so... And I can't see any of you guys without my glasses. So. Um, God tells Adam to work. In the Garden of Eden, um, Adam is given the command to work the field before the fall of mankind. You hear the order there? Some of us feel that work is a result of the fall. It's like, man, if Adam and Eve didn't take the fruit, I wouldn't need a job. That's, that's not how it worked. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then he warns him to not eat of that tree because in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die because he hadn't eaten of it yet because the world had not been fallen. But God already gave him work. He already gave him a responsibility in work. So work is something God did. Work is something God commands and is not a result of sin. The Bible also has a lot to say about work in the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. First of all, it tells us we need to learn lessons from an ant. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. We've seen ants. We see how they're always working. And then he says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Is what the proverb says. 
Or how about Proverbs 20, verse 4? The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. It's like a, some, a person who is idle is waiting for the, the reward of work that they didn't put in. Proverbs 20, verse 13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Basically, it's like, hey, get out of bed and go to work. Proverbs twenty two thirteen. I love this one. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. That's all it says. And I think what it's implying is, the sluggard has always a reason to not go out. There's lion out there. It's dangerous out there. Or how about this one? Proverbs 26, 15. This might be your favorite. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. It's like, I'm just too tired to even put it back in my mouth. And so these, these proverbs, and as the scripture as a whole, it tells us, hey, God has created work. Work's a good thing. And your jobs may not be good jobs. And I, I'm acknowledging that. But God tells us to work and to be diligent. And there's a reason for it. Paul says here in the verses that follow that we're called then to follow his example in work. So he, he lays out the problem. Idleness is toxic. He says idleness is against God's command to work. And look what he says there in verse 7 and following. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Paul's like, hey, when I was there for those three weeks, um, and, and those, that the time, that season I was there, I worked hard, I worked a side gig to pay for my own work in order to not burden you with the work, is what Paul's saying. And then he goes on to say, it's not because I didn't have the right to, to receive income, but because he wanted to set forth an example. Look at that in verse 8. Nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with the toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So he says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. Paul says, imitate our work ethic as you view your work. And Paul often, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15, that he worked harder even than others, not as a way to boast, but to say, hey, this is how, this is how I went about things. God has given me a new life. I want to work hard for his glory. Why do this? Well, Paul says, first of all, he did so because he didn't want to burden other people. Now, I want to mention something here because I think sometimes we can be very critical of others. Um, and I, and I, want to give a, I want to give a shout out to you here in a moment. But there are some of us we know who are working hard and the money's just not, is not stretching. And I just want you to know it's okay to receive help from other people. It's, it's okay. And some of you say, hey, I remember those days. So then I say, hey, remember those then who are still in those days. Let's come alongside of one another. And Paul's saying, hey, let's not intentionally be a burden to one another. But sometimes there are times where we need to receive help from others, and there's times when we have means and we need to help others. That's how we view work. Paul goes on to say, so if you don't work, you don't eat. He's, he's telling them, 
There's no, if we have reasons, like if we're making excuses to not work, we must choose to turn that around and say, God, I know you want me to do, to be diligent. As I mentioned earlier, ultimately what Paul is saying here, why he's just exhorting them, challenging them, like, hey, don't, don't, be, don't be idle. He says, ultimately because God's name is what's at stake here. It often grieves me when I hear someone say, hey, there's this coworker who's a Christian, but they're the worst employee in the job. Because what happened at that point, we've misunderstood a theology of work. See, our work ethic says something about our belief system. Work ethics don't change based on the job we have. Hear this, fam. If you don't like your job, that doesn't mean you have a, a worse work ethic. Or I would, I would work better if I liked what I was doing. Now, work ethic is an ethic. And an ethic is your conviction, and convictions don't change based on circumstances. So whether you like where you're working or you don't like, a good work ethic that's centered on God says, I'm going to remain vigilant because I know God is watching me always. It doesn't change because ethics are convictions. But I do want to just salute those who are on the grind in workplaces that are just really difficult. And I, I know there are many here in our church family who are struggling. You're struggling financially. Some of you are holding on two jobs. Some of you are holding on tough hours. Uh, your, your hours are shifting. And, and I, just, I say this just to affirm you in your work. You're doing great. Keep at it. Don't lose heart. Remain vigilant. And there are others of us here who maybe are unemployed and you're on the grind looking for work. And I'd say, be vigilant, keep working. You can glorify God in the pursuit of work as much as you can uh, glorify him in the manner of your work. I do want to speak to our younger men and women as they're learning work. This is significant. I think all of us, in some ways, are products of the generation that went before us for good or for bad. And I know there's a lot of uh, criticalness about the millennials in our generation. In fact, millennials often have the reputation, among many in popular culture, of expecting things to be handed to them. You've heard this before? Um, There's there's this this criticalness saying they don't want to work, da-da-da-da, which, sure, I'm sure there are some, but I know that that's extremely offensive to the millennials that I know who are on their grind. All right, so we just, again, let's not overly stereotype here. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we are very entitled because the generation in front of us made us that way. That happens a lot. And so all this to say, this is how we go about work as young people. If you're in high school, get a job. Get a job and work. Maybe it's in the summertime. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a creative way, but, but pursue it. It's a right thing. You're establishing a rhythm and a habit, and you're building a resume. And when you're off to college, make sure you keep working. Maybe it's even a side job. Um, I know some of us are full-time students, so I know there are unique situations, and I just, you got to pr- approach those with wisdom. But work is a good thing. And don't, ex- and I guess, expect to have jobs that aren't pleasant, especially when you're younger. It's just, it's going to happen. I think we can all tell stories, or most of us, of jobs that just were not pleasant. I mean, I remember stocking freezers without a coat, and I'm like, why am I doing this, you know? That, that was, you know, that's all right. I had to learn the gig. Um, 
I know some of us have jobs that are still not pleasant. That's why I'm like, just keep pressing on. But if you're a young person, work. Work is good. But there's also another extreme to idleness, and it's called workaholism. And Paul's not advocating for that because it is just as egregious in God's sight as idleness is. See, workaholism, it happens for a reason. Let me, let me just start there. Ask yourself, if you find yourself as a workaholic, why do you work so much? Like, why do you do it? I mean, some of us might say because the boss puts that pressure on me. Okay, that, that may be the case. But do you pick up extra hours, though, when you don't need them? See, sometimes we just put too much work, and a lot of times we're workaholics because we find our identity in our work. We find our, our identity in, in, in the way our workplace views us. And I just, I, you got to know that God, your, your, your heart has an occupancy of one, all right? There's one throne on your heart, and who or what will sit on it? And the way we live our lives will determine that. So I, what does that look like in your situation? I don't know. I don't know. But what I call you to do is just pray out to God, say, Lord, help me understand how, I am, how you're calling me to operate in my workplace so I don't go the extreme of idleness and just be a horrible employee or the other extreme of workaholism and find my value at work. Paul's saying, look at, imitate us. Let's not be idle. Let's be vigilant. The Bible says this in Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so we've talked about this often. The way we view our work, when we find, have a hard time seeing purpose in it, is when we realize that ultimately we work for our God. And we do all for his name and his glory. That's what was missing from me when I was window washing. I, I, was, I was missing the ability to see that when no one else was watching me, God was watching me, and the manner with which I conducted myself would dishonor or honor him. And because I failed to see that, I dishonored him with my lips, with my complaining. I would walk dragging my feet around. And God had to show me how that was sin. I needed to repent of that. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. When we approach our 24-hour day, and we start with the Lord, spending time with Jesus in the morning, and we go off to the workplace or to school, you do so vigilantly knowing that God is honored in your work ethic. Honor him with how you do that. Let your, let your manner of life point to Jesus. And see how God might redeem your workplace. God taught me a lot. Um, I was a bank teller for about a year and a half at two different banks. And what God showed me was that the bank could be a mission field. I had to be wise in how to go about it. Um, at first, I would begrudge certain aspects of it, like, man, this is, you know, I feel like we're preying upon the poor, we're charging the poor people extra money for their, for their uh, uh, cashier's checks, and, and the people who had more money in their bank account got free checks. Like, all these things, like, really aggravated me. But I started realizing, okay, apart from all that, I've got coworkers. I got other people on a teller line. There's personal bankers, there's security guards, and there's a lot of downtime. How, is my, how are my lips, how are my actions demonstrating my faith? And what God ended up doing for me in that situation was to give me uh, a, a vision for being a bank teller that I had not had before. And as my time there grew, I began to really love my coworkers. Some of them drove me crazy like your coworkers do. 
some of them were like, okay, you are, like, your mouth is out of control. Like, that happened. But I remember the day I gave my two weeks notice getting ready to go back to school. Um, and then when I went to my last day of work, um, I went home and I began to weep. And I was like, well, I hate my job. Why am I crying for? And I really felt like, like God had helped me see that these coworkers are part of God's mission in my life. And actually what I began to ask like, is, God, did I do enough? I'll never be here in this space again. Was I faithful these year, this year and a half? Did I really model a life surrendered to Jesus? Did I tell them about where the hope of my life was at? Or did I leave the workplace and people just didn't really know? They knew I was a good kid who, loved, who was a Christian. And that, that's, that's the shift. So that we're not just, it's not just some people that we got to make that money. Yeah, we do. We got bills to pay. You got rent, you got mortgages, you got utilities, you got school bills, you got car. Like, we, we know it. But how do we see purpose in our work? We see purpose in our work when we realize we work for the Lord and he has placed us where we're at for a reason. You don't know when your last day in your office will be. Your last day there. But my hope and prayer is that you would say, God, I honored you being diligent with my hands and faithful with my lips in all these circumstances. I heard last, about two weeks ago, of a, of a woman who's a real estate agent in Arizona. And God had changed her life in a radical way. And so she began to really build rapport with her uh, people who were trying to set, buy homes and to the point where they actually began to really trust her, confide in her, and seek her out for counsel. And one thing just led to another where she began to then use, she worked her real estate agency and then began to use her office in, in off hours as a place for ministry. She had a new vision. She saw her work differently as a way that God would use it to impact people's lives. And I know some of us, we can't do that in our workplace. But what is God calling you to do? How can you vertically first look at the Lord and say, God, am I honoring you here? And then horizontally saying, God, am I being light among my friends, my coworkers, and the people that are here. You see, the problem in Thessalonica that many believe the reason why they were idle is because Paul would teach them that Jesus is coming back one day. And what they did was they took that belief and went the wrong extreme. Well, if Jesus is coming back, why should I work this job for? If Jesus is coming back, why should I have responsibility? And on and on and on. And what the problem is, you've maybe heard this phrase, that, some, that they became so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good. But the truth of the matter is, they were wrongly heavenly minded. There's a hip-hop group called the Cross Movement that really influenced me when I was a youth. And there's this phrase that they said, you've heard it said that, that you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And they said, but I want to present to some and introduce to others the Lord Jesus the Christ, the epitome of being heavenly-minded and of earthly good. And of course, how Jesus did that, with his eyes set on glory, went to the cross on our behalf, and actually did the greatest work for us. And on the cross, he took our sin so that when we put our faith in him, we could be forgiven. He died on our behalf. And so if we imitate Paul, who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and ultimately our eyes are on Jesus, we must also then be so heavenly-minded that we're of earthly good 
in the most remarkable of ways. From the moment you clock in to the moment you leave your office or your workplace, how are you doing so? Is your sound theology producing diligent activity? Or are you guilty of what Paul is saying here, of walking in idleness? Church family, I just want to exhort you as your brother and even talking to myself here. Let's be diligent for the sake of God and his glory and not the praises of people. Let's watch how God uses our spaces to shed light of hope through Jesus, through you and through me. All for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Paul says in verse 13, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing what is good. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, for every man and woman in this room. Lord, I know we're all in unique situations. Some of us are right now seeing our workplace as a mission field. We're diligent at work. Things are great, and we're just we're needing this reminder and this encouragement to keep going. Some of us are discouraged. Our workplace is difficult. Lord, they need to be reminded that they work under your authority, God. And they could do so to your glory and your praise. And may they find new purpose and excitement about work. For the brother or sister today, Lord, who is idle, and not for any particular reason, they've just chosen not to work. And Lord, maybe you're stirring them up. God, I pray that they would be vigilant in responding to you. And for others, God, who are in unique situations, whether they're homemakers, um, whether they're students, retired, Lord, may they also see purpose in their their day-to-day routine, Lord. I know uh, that those are sermons for other days, but Lord, I pray they would also just see, God, that you have a purpose for them. For all of us, God, may we just ultimately be so focused on you and let that focus then produce the kind of work in our lives that brings you glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's rise to our feet, family. As we uh, close our, in our final song here, prayer team, would you please come on forward? God is stirring your heart in some way or another as he brought his word. Um, I'd ask that you would allow one of our brothers and sisters to pray with you as we close in this final song. Let this song be an expression, a response to our God in light of all that he's done for us. Let's sing together. You stood before creation. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. 